God's grace, his mercy, and his peace are yours from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I'll read for you our sermon text for today. It comes from Romans chapter 8. We start at verse 5 and go to 9 and then read 12 to 16. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what nature desires. But those who live accordance with the, script, with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by a sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by a sinful nature, but by the Spirit, but the Spirit of God lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. It is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if we live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you will put to death the misdeeds of the body... You will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. I don't much like horror films and movies because I know the directors in directing them, they're trying to plan out something that would be absolutely terrifying, something that you might call your worst fear. And they take that worst fear and they spread it over a film, a movie, where there's suspense and every moment you're waiting for that fear to come and jump out at you and terrify you. And not only that, but the directors, I think their intentions are to create some sort of enemy, some villain, that not only are you afraid of, but you can't deal with either. So you're helpless when it comes to it. That's what they try to do. And the good thing about horror films is you don't have to go and watch them, but what happens when something is actually real? So, more terrifying than a horror film... Have you ever heard of the cordyceps fungus? It's a fungus that primarily dwells, I think, in South America, and it's a fungus that infects the brains of ants down there if they inhale the spores. And you know what it does? It makes them into essentially a mummy, where it attaches to their brain, and it tells their brain to keep climbing higher and higher until it gets to a moment where it says, clamp down on whatever it can get, and the ant clamps down, and from there, this cordyceps fungus sprouts out of the ant's head. And then it sends up spores, hopefully trying to infect other ants. Now, I believe ants are primarily the largest group of insects down in South America. And here's only one way that the ants are kept in check through this fungus. And this fungus has wiped out colonies of millions of ants just by infecting them. An enemy and a villain is terrifying, but it's even more terrifying when it's actually in you and there's not much you can do about it. Why do I share such a horrifying fungus with you? Because Paul today, he says, there's something in you that is absolutely terrifying and horrible. 
And he goes to describe it. He says, this is what it is. He says, this horrible enemy that you have is called the flesh. This flesh, you can't control it. You can't beat it into submission. You can't, by determination and sheer will, make it do what you want it to do. Instead, this flesh has terrifying consequences because the flesh, it wants two things. It wants to do exactly what God doesn't want to do. And it does exactly what God doesn't want it to do. No, God, it doesn't do exactly what God wants it to do. Essentially, it's a completely opposed to God. Like light and darkness, a complete opposite. It's God's essentially arch nemesis, its arch enemy. It does everything opposite to God, even to the point where it says the mind of the sinful man or the sinful flesh is death. The mind controlled by a spirit is life, but the sinful mind or the sinful flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. It just wants to destroy and to kill and to cause death. And it's hard because in Romans, as Paul writes these words, he doesn't give us specific examples of what this flesh is. Because he could have said to us, this this flesh, this is how it looks. It looks like when you come home from a hard day at work and you were at odds with your boss and your coworkers, but you kept your mouth shut But when you got home, you gave your spouse an emotional punch in the gut. All because you had a bad day. You take it out on your your, your family and your children because that's what you can do. You had the freedom of doing that without getting fired. That's what the flesh looks like. But Paul doesn't have to tell us that. He can tell us that when we want things our way... And we want them done specifically our way and only our way. And when we don't get it our way, that little angry side of us kind of grows up inside of us. And then all of a sudden it tears people down. You being brutally honest with them and saying things that you know you shouldn't have said. That's what the flesh is. But Paul really doesn't have to tell us that's what the flesh is. Or when you're maybe apathetic. And you know there's things that you could do to help people around you. And you don't do it. Paul could say that that's the flesh. But it seems as if Paul already knows that we have a sense that we have this flesh and what the flesh does. Because the more emotional punches you give to your family, you realize you're causing a death in your family. Emotionally. You're tearing your family down because something else at work was happening completely unrelated. You know that your anger, it doesn't cause life, it it ruins life. Even with just words. We realize that. And maybe the good that we, we realize we should do, maybe that's emotional pressure, or maybe it's our conscience saying that we aren't just individuals. Instead, God has made us into a community, a body of believers, and being so selfish isn't a good thing. Paul didn't have to say any of that because it seems as if we already realize it. We already understand it. But like that cordyceps fungus, it just keeps 
happening. You can't stop it. It pushes you to do these things until it kind of sprouts into this, what you know as death. Where we find husbands and wives dying to marriage, divorce. Where you see people dying to happiness and peace because of their anger. Dying to God's love and community because of selfishness. And we kind of know it. And I would suggest that every single person knows it. And we're all looking for the solution. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, whether you're religious or non-religious, every single person is looking for the solution of this thing called flesh. So much so that even professionals are looking at schools nowadays where shootings are happening and they're saying there are more police officers in school than counselors and that's a red flag. Because they understand it's more than just making sure things don't happen. It's going deeper into people's psyche and dealing with it. But even that, all these psychiatrists and psychologists, as they give out help and information, it's them that's looking for a solution too. They go get counseling to themselves because they realize the answer they don't have. But we got to deal with it. Because we know that our anger is not something good to hang on to. We know that things like anxiety aren't, aren't things that we want hanging around because they, they only build and maybe even create this own prison for ourselves. We suddenly realize we, we all need help with the flesh. Because this is what the flesh does. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. Your relationships will die. Your happiness will die. Your community will die. And you hear Paul come and he pushes into us hard and he he does something that was completely unconventional by professional standards. Because we would expect Paul to come to us and say, here's how you deal with your anger, with your frustrations, with your grief. Here are three steps to do it. Do step one, then step two, then step three. Or here are coping mechanisms for you as you deal with your stress and your anger. Here are the things that you should do. But Paul knows that we are tired And worn out because the flesh wears us down. And rather than giving laws and commands and saying, you must do, Paul gives the gospel. He gives the pure gospel as this is what he says. You, verse 9, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. You don't hear a command there. 
you hear a statement, a fact. As he's talking to these Roman Christians, he's saying, these are all the fleshy things that destroy you and kill you, but you, you live by the Spirit. He didn't say you have to get the Spirit, you have to earn the Spirit, you have to make your way into being with the Spirit. He says you have the Spirit. He's saying that you've been given something that Jesus earned for you when he died on the cross, a Spirit that you live life and not death. Because Jesus already won you. And so he tells you everything is good. The Spirit, he lives in you. So he reminds you everything is good. The Father reigns for you. So that you know everything will continue to be good. And then you begin to see what God's doing. Psychology. He's pointing you back to the fact that Jesus rose and died and rose for your sins. An honest truth and fact. And Jesus sent the Spirit, who he says is an advocate, a counselor. Why? Because so often we forget the fact that Jesus died and rose for all of our sins. And so the Spirit reminds us over and over again, pointing us back to Jesus' death. And in doing so, he not only points us to the, the great victory of eternal salvation that Jesus gave for us, but he also points out the trickle-down effects for you and me in our lives. The big thing was that Jesus died for us. He freed us. But what does that mean? That means things like your marriage and your anger and your complacency. The Holy Spirit is working on you to bring life to him. Because we forget this one big detail. We forget how big God's grace is for us. We forget that God's gospel covers completely all of our soul. Because sometimes we like to, to step towards the enemy and say, I, I'm just going to give in to a quick pat in the back and let my anger go so I feel a little bit better about myself. Or maybe I'll feel just a little bit jealous to make myself feel a little more worthy than I am. Or I'm going to pick on someone who doesn't have as much as I do to, to make my worth more than I actually am. Sometimes we look at God and we, we wonder, what, what are you doing, God? I don't feel like I'm loved or I'm worthy. I question what's happening in my life because it all seems like it's falling apart and we're so quick to be tempted. Let's jump to the flesh. Let's jump ship from a God who loves us to a sinful flesh 
that gives us instant gratification and then just kills us. Instead, God calls us and he says, look at the psychology I'm doing you. You have a Savior who won you, a Spirit who lives in you, and a God who reigns for you, and a gospel that's big enough for you. Because when we feel like we need some sort of affirmation in this world, and we get it by jealousy or or gossip, God says, what more affirmation do you need? I've, I've loved you from before creation and chosen you to be my own. When we become selfish and greedy because we feel like it makes us a little bit more important than the rest of the world, God says, what, why do you have to feel more important than how I see you already? Why are you looking for, why do you find yourself lusting? Why do you find yourself in grief? Why do you find yourself anxious? Look at what I have done for you. I, I have loved you passionately and intimately because I have given you so much just to buy you back. I gave my son for you. God created us. He knows who we are and so he works in us by pushing his mighty gospel into our hearts. So that we might have life. So that we we don't have to come home and, and bring work home with us and give those emotional gut punches to our, our family because, well, God has already made me worthwhile and valuable. I don't have to go out and, and, and pretend like I'm happy to the world because God brings me his happiness. He sees all these things in our lives and all these are only evidence that God's gospel needs to work deeper and farther into our lives. Our fears, our anxieties, our, our lusts, our desires. This is God working the Holy Spirit to tell us, I'm sufficient. I have given you all you need for your life. That's how we live by the Spirit. We don't try to bend our sinful flesh by our own might. Instead, Jesus says, right there with you is my Spirit who counsels you, who, who wins the battles versus sin and death so that you might have life in your marriage and life at your work and, and happiness rather than depression because my gospel is big enough for you to cover all of you. That all starts with Christ on the cross. His justification. He died for us so that we might live. And he goes on to say that as you have the Spirit, you also have peace 
and life. As God's word and gospel is pushed into you and your lives, you find peace and life in it. It's time to take that that sinful flesh and and put it to death. Because when has it done anything good for us? It only kills. But the Spirit, it only gives life. Paul says to us, matter-of-factly, you live by the Spirit. Because Jesus and his love dying, he gave it to us. So that we might live a life that walks according to the Spirit. That we might cry out, Abba, Father. You realize that's, it doesn't say just, just, Say of God, Abba, Father. It doesn't say mention God as Abba, Father. It says cry out, Abba, Father. So when you find yourself struggling like a parent, you cry out to them, Father, help me. Because this is what the Spirit reminds us. We are his children. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. Indeed, we share with his sufferings in order that we may share his glory. You and I have glory through the Spirit and reminds us of that every day as we hear his word, as we grow in his word, through Jesus. Amen. Please stand. We join in confessing our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed printed for you on page 4 in your bulletin. We confess. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.